Would you stand with us? Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Holy, holy is He. Sing a new song to Him who sits on heaven's mercy seat. Holy, holy, holy is the Well, good morning, ZPC. Now, we are doing things a little bit differently today, and I know that Presbyterians, we get in a, we know what we like, we know when to get here, and, um, and some people get here at about 9.28 or so for the 9 o'clock service, and so if that's the case, they're going to miss out on something today, because we're going to do things a little bit differently, and I'll explain to you why, but a part of it is because uh, this is going to be the, the kickoff of our new uh, series. Actually, it's not a new series. It's, it's our True North Part 2, and in the fall, we did True North Part 
one, and if you were here with us during the fall, you know that what we talked about is what do we believe? And so we took a fair amount of time to talk about what do, we, what do we believe as Christians about who God is? What do we believe about salvation? What do we believe about the scripture? What do we believe about who we are? What do we believe about eternity? And so we talked a lot about the importance of understanding who we are. And, and one of the common threads that kind of was woven throughout is the reality that God is a God who created us out of love. And that even in our sin and our brokenness, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come down on earth. And because of his life, his death, and his resurrection, we are, we are seen or we are given new life. And our call, our simple call, is to open up our arms and to receive that love. And that's critical because oftentimes, it seems to me, we try to do one of two things. We either are trying to earn God's love as much as we possibly can, or some of us perhaps feel like the things that we've done have made it so that we are too far removed from God's love. And so the message that we tried to say again and again is the fact that our simple call, because of what God has done for us first, is to receive the love of God. Now, One of the things, then, that we begin to ask during this particular series is this. If we have received God's love, and if our hearts have been changed, then what kinds of things uh, should we then be practicing? If our hearts are changed, how should our lives begin to look? And so what we're going to be doing over the next 10 weeks is we're going to ask ourselves, kind of as, as someone has coined, what are resurrection Practices. Now, these are practices that we do not in order to gain God's love, but out of a response of gratitude for God's love. Okay? I'm going to say it one more time. These are things that we do not in order to earn God's love. God already loves us, but out of a response and because of that love that we have received. Do I need to say it again? Because you said no, we are doing this thing not in order to achieve God's love, but in response. And so, on this particular Sunday, we are kicking it off and we are saying that the first thing that we need to do in response to God's love is to worship. And so, we respond to the love of God that we have received by worshiping. And what that means, literally, is by giving worth to God. We gather together in order to celebrate who God is and what God has done in our lives. And we believe that worship reorients us towards God. That after a busy week when we've been pushed this way and that, that coming together gives us an opportunity to reorient our lives around God. And as we were thinking about how exactly should we do this, we thought maybe what we should do is we should just have our normal worship service. But in the midst of that service, what we're going to do, rather than having kind of a lengthy sermon in the end or towards the end, we're going to talk about what we do throughout the service and why it is we do it. You see, I think sometimes I have an assumption that everyone knows why it is that we do what we do in worship. I also know that there are a lot of us who have done this week after week after week, and we may not even realize why it is that we're doing it. We just do it. Right? And the story that has always been very helpful for me, I shared a couple years ago, comes from a Presbyterian pastor named Scott Dudley. 
And he had a college-age student when he was pastoring in the San Francisco area who came up to him, and, he, and, and she said to him, I, I was given a project for, for my, at my university, and the project was to do something I've never done before. And so she said, I'm going to go to a church service because I've never been to a church service. So she went to the worship service, and then afterwards she got together with the pastor, with Scott, and the very first question she asked was this, why do you sing? And when I heard that, at first I thought, well, that's a ridiculous question. It's what you do. <laughs> right? But then I realized, well, where else, right? Where else do you just come together unless you're a part of a choir? It's very rare that you just come together and that everyone just starts singing. Quite frankly, if you think about it like that, it's just kind of weird what we do. And so I began to ask, well, why do we sing? And, and then the question is, well, why do we even gather? And, and, and why do we listen to some lengthy talk? And, and why do we give? And why do we pray? And I, I realized that, well, maybe this is a good question for us to be asking. And so today, rather than just kind of doing it, rather than kind of saying, you know, the Geico commercial, it's what you do, why don't we really say, or why don't we really ponder, why do we do these things. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. Is that okay? Great. And so I want us to begin by standing up in just a moment, and I want you to find one person that you don't know all that well. This is your favorite part. Find one person, and I want you to ask that person or you to tell that person what your favorite part of a worship service is. Now, if you are visiting or if you have never been to a worship service, here is your answer. The benediction, right? You can just say when he dismisses us, okay? And that's totally fine. And the other person won't say that, but they'll believe it, all right? So stand up and go share one thing that you like about worship. remember you doing that. Right, right. All right. Well, it's great to know that you like so many things about worship. And now you can be seated. I, you know, honestly, that really, that encouraged a lot more conversation than I expected, and that's good. So as we go throughout this, uh, th this worship service today, we're going to use as kind of a scripture passage, a somewhat lengthy passage, but it comes from the 16th chapter of Acts. And we're going to read that passage now. This is a bit of a call to worship, if you will. It begins by saying, we, and that's Paul and Silas, set sail from Troas and took a straight course to Samothrace the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. 
We remained in this city for some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Theatira and a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. One day, as we were going to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners a great deal of money by fortune-telling. And while she followed Paul and us, she would cry out, These men are slaves of the Most High God. Who proclaimed to you a way of salvation. She kept doing this for many days. But Paul, very much annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. When they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, These men are disturbing our city. They are Jews and are advocating customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to adopt or observe. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates had them stripped of their clothing and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had given them a severe flogging, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. And following these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was an earthquake so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke up and saw the prison doors wide open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, since he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. The jailer called for lights, and rushing in, he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. At the same hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds. Then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. And he brought them up into the house and set food before them. He and he and his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to God. Let's pray. God, be with us in this time. As we continue to seek after your face, as we continue to worship you, it's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. Let me quickly point out one thing about this passage, which is at the end, when the jailer says, what must I do to be saved? Paul said to him, believe in the Lord Jesus. And another way to say that is, believe that Jesus is Lord. Right? And it's a call to worship, if you will, remembering that worship is a time for us to set apart and to say that Jesus is Lord. Now, one of the interesting things about this passage that you notice is that throughout it, no one is ever alone, it seems. 
that everything is happening together. Paul and Silas are always together. They go places together. They go find a prayer gathering, and there is a group of women who are there. Not just women, but women who are there. When they go to the prisoner, we're told that there were prisoners who were listening, which meant there were more than just Paul and Silas. Whenever we're talked about the households, whether it's Lydia's household or whether it's the prisoners, we're told that there are other people there. One of the critical things that we believe about worship, especially in our Reformed tradition, is that it is done best in community. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't worship or pray or read your scripture on your own by no means, but it does mean that it is critical for us to gather together. Hebrews says, uh, says to uh, the, church in, the church to not neglect, as some were doing, gathering together. And we believe that we gather together because of the fact that it helps to support and encourage and challenge one another when we worship by more than just ourselves. We get a larger glimpse of who God is when we come together in settings like this and worship. And one of the other things that we really believe, it seems to me, is that it's even better if we're worshiping with people who do not just look like us or think like us in all ways, a diversity of people. It's one of the things that I am trying to encourage us to remember, that it's important for us to be with different kinds of people as we gather together. Think about the story. You've got Lydia, who is probably Greek and is remarkably wealthy, it seems. You have Paul and Silas, who are converted Jews. You have a, you have a, a jailer, um, I always want to say Filipino, he was, it was a Philippian, thank you, who was a Philippian, right? Uh, you have a slave girl who was clearly not with wealth, who was young, and who was shaped by the fact that Paul and Silas are worshiping people. The reality is the more kind of different sorts of people that you have gathered together, the more it is clear that you are not there just because you're with people who look like you, but you are there for a higher reason. And the higher reason, of course, is in order to worship God. Right? And so one of the things that you may notice, this may seem, well, you don't notice this if you come at 925, but you do notice this if you're here at 9, is that we always, at the beginning of our services, have announcements. And you may be thinking, well, that's lame. That's not really part of a worship. But it is a part of worship. And the reason why is if you may notice that almost every announcement we have is about building community. Right? So we have three announcements this morning. See the way I'm weaving this in? And the first one is about the women's gathering. Right? It's called a women's what? Gathering. gathering which means it's more than just at least they're hoping. And it is so far. We have over 100 women so far signed up. Um, and, and so this is coming up this Saturday. And we do this as a reminder, right, of the reality that we are not in this alone. Okay? And so that's coming up. This coming up Saturday. Um, it's about take courage is the, uh, I think is the, yes, is, the, is what they're going to be talking about. And so we encourage you to do that, right? Another announcement that we have is about home groups. I don't know if you've heard this. I've only mentioned it about 20 times in the last three weeks. We have home groups, right? This is when they start. They start today. Why do we have home groups? Because we believe to gather together is better than on your own simply to try and worship. We can grow more as we are together. The, the final announcement uh, is, uh, is my installation service next Sunday at 3 o'clock. Now look, I don't need all of you to come. I just need at least one of you to come because otherwise it's really awkward to be up here. So 
That's next Sunday, and that's another worship service. And again, we like to worship together, okay? And so we worship, we gather. Why do we gather? We gather in order to encourage one another, to support one another, and because we realize, of course, that as we sing together, that there are other people that are with us. This journey of faith is not easy, and it is remarkably helpful to know that you are not doing it alone. Now, I know that if I had asked you all to go around and ask not what is your favorite part of worship, but what is your least favorite part of worship, what 90% of you would have said is this time right now when we have to get out and go meet and greet, right? I know the reason we do that and continue to do that is not because we, we, we don't realize that many of you don't like it. We know it, okay? But we also know that we are called to get out of those comfortable places and that it's helpful to know who it is that's worshiping next to you. That it's helpful to know that you are not alone. That it's helpful to know just a little bit more about the brother or sister in Christ next to you who you may or may not know. And so we gather together weekly in order to celebrate God together. And so with that in mind, let us stand. Is that all right if we stand? Totally all right. And let us sing. Stand up, please.
Please be seated. When Paul and Silas were in jail, we're told specifically, which is kind of interesting, at what time, at what time was it that they were at midnight, they began to do what? They began to pray and to sing. And much like the college-age student asked, why did they sing? Why do we sing? Why do we have that as a part of our worship every Sunday? Right? As commentators think about this passage, most oftentimes they, they marvel at the faith that Paul and Silas must have had in order to sing in this difficult moment. And that certainly may be the case, that they had great faith to be able to sing. But I also wonder, quite frankly, as I look at that, whether or not it might not also have been for the other reason, which is the fact that their faith was beginning to falter. If they were not in some way beginning to wonder, where is God? And in the midst of that, what they began to do is sing in order to gird their strength, in order to to have more faith to believe. At least in my own life, oftentimes the times I sing are the times when I am most struggling. But we sing whether it is out of great joy or out of struggle. Now, part of the reason why we sing is because the Scripture tells us to. The Old Testament says, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord. Bless his holy name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Paul in Colossians says, sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs. But why is it important that we sing? Well, one of the reasons, I think, and this is something I mentioned during Advent, is because songs get in our heads and do not get out oftentimes. Much more so than the spoken word, songs just kind of get into our heads. And the hope is, right, that that, that a song that we're singing in here might be a song that we continue to sing when we get out of here. But another reason I think why we sing is because it's simply how we were created. One of the things that I have marveled at is how young children are when they begin to love music and love to sing. I, I remember our, our, when our oldest was, maybe she was one, she wasn't very old, and we got in this tradition where we would go early in the morning, earlier than we would have liked, and we put her down in her high chair, and the first thing that she would do was she would take her little chubby finger and she would point to the stereo and she would say, mucic, mucic, right, which meant music, and so she wouldn't stop until we turned the music on. Or even our youngest now, who's not quite two, ever since uh, December, when she started hearing her sisters do these sunshine singer songs, she's got this one song that she knows. It really, it's just the first word. The song was, was, was kind of catchy. It was, you know, happy, happy, merry Christmas. It was like that. But just randomly, she'll just start singing Happy, happy. In fact, she, she, she doesn't quite get the importance of community because as soon as anyone starts singing it with her, she yells, Stop. But that's okay. She, she, she knows, right, there's something about her. There's something that just lights up inside of her. It's like as if she was created to sing, which we would say she was, not only just to sing, but to sing to God. But we also sing because of the way it forms us. This is something that I shared a couple years ago with you all, but it's something that continues to inform me when it comes to why we sing. It's, it, it, it's about the country of Estonia and, and, and about what happened when, when they started a revolution, the, what, what's oftentimes called the singing revolution. 
The Soviets, they knew that how powerful singing was, and so they outlawed them being able, the Estonians being able to sing their revolutionary songs, being able to sing just their folk songs even. But between 1986 and 1991, they began to sing loudly these songs. There were some gatherings that had hundreds of thousands of people. And what is most intriguing about this is the reasons why people gave that they sang. People who were the insiders and observers. And three of the quotes that I want to share with you are, are, are these. The first quote says this, that the powers and the Communist Party were afraid because these songs ignited the passions of the people. The second quote says this, singing brought Estonians together and gave them the courage to rebel. And then the third one, which is from a New York Times columnist, said, In bold acts of singing, they reclaimed their identity. I hope you can see these italicized parts. These were my own italics. They, first of all, they ignited the passions of the people. John Calvin is oftentimes seen as being very stoic, right? Kind of the founder of Presbyterianism, if you will. But even he realized, he said, you should sing because it inflames the heart. There's something about songs that excites us. And if we are in this sometimes difficult journey of faith, it's important for us to be excited about that, right? That it brings people together. We just talked about the importance of gathering, right? I saw this last night. Last night, we had over 200 folks here for the daddy-daughter dance. It was great. But one of the interesting things was you can have a bunch of dads there, probably 50% of them not normal Sunday morning ZPCers. But these are dads who are sometimes, you know, a little bit more reserved. But when YMCA came on, all of a sudden they all began to sing. They knew it, right? They, all of a sudden, uh, you know, it was like oh, we're, you know, we're almost giving high fives to one another, even if we don't, because we love the song, because the song has a power to bring us together. The songs that we sing, hopefully beyond just YMCA, in here have a power to bring us together. And it gave them the courage to rebel. And if we believe that we are an alternative community to the society and the world around us, then it means that we need to have courage to say we can stand up, that our worth does not come from what you think our worth comes from or from what I think it does, but from God, from all the different ways that we believe that we are called to love our enemies and do things in stark contrast to the world around us. We need courage, and songs give us the courage to rebel. And it helps them to reclaim their identity. Remember again, as we talked about a lot in that first part of our series about identity, like I just said, of saying that my worth comes not from what I do, and not because I'm just great on my own. My worth comes because that God has created me and loves me. And we need to remember that. And songs give us an opportunity to reclaim and to remember that. They stoke our passions. They bring us together. They give us the courage to rebel. And they help to remind us of who we are. This, sisters and brothers, is the answer to the question of why we sing. So with that, we are going to sing. You want us to stand? Let's stand up as we sing. I sing the mighty power of God that made the mountains rise, that spread the flowing seas abroad and built the lofty skies. I sing the wisdom that ordained 
the sun to rule the day. The moon shines full at his command, and all the stars obey. I sing the goodness of the Lord that filled the earth with food. He formed the creatures with his word and then pronounced them good. Lord, how thy wonders are displayed wherever I turn my eye. If I survey the ground I tread or gaze upon the sky, there's not a plant or flower below but makes thy glories known. And clouds arise and tempests blow by order of thy throne. While all that borrows life from thee is ever in thy care. And everywhere that we can be, thou God art present there. Phone on. <laughs> they sang and they prayed. And a part of the reason then, the question is, well, why do, why do we pray? Right? Why do we take time every Sunday to pray at least once, usually at least three or four times? Why do we do that? I think that there are probably few symbols as strong as prayer of the reality of whether or not we believe that we are in control or whether we believe that God is in control. Prayer is this great opportunity that we have to stop the busyness of our lives and, and our own kind of propensity to believe that we are in charge and that we have to do all of these things to stop and to remember and to Give praise to the fact that God ultimately is the one in control. We pray because we desire things from God. We pray out of gratitude for what God has done. But we also pray as a simple reminder to ourselves of the fact that we are called to reorient, as we've already said in our worship, our lives around God. But one of the realities is that prayer is incredibly difficult for most people. Of us. Most of us, we might be able to do a quick prayer before a meal or something like that, or in a, when we are desperate, but most of us, it is difficult to get into a habit of prayer. And so that's a part of the reason, quite honestly, why we stop every Sunday morning in order to pray publicly. We do so as a way, this is what we talk about oftentimes when it comes to worship, as a way to practice. Right? So that as we gather together, as Sharon, when she comes up here in just a few minutes, when she stands up here to pray, that hopefully some of us will be like, okay, good, this is not the first time I've done this this week. But there might be some of us, if we're honest, who say, oh, that's right, we're supposed to do this. We're supposed to pray. And so we stop here in this moment because we believe that we need practice. We need practice to remember to pray. Richard Foster, who's something of a spiritual discipline guru, he talks about the fact that it takes, it, it takes habit. It takes forming a habit day after day, week after week, in order to really become someone who is a praying person. And so we practice. 
I thought about this when it comes to our, and I, this is the last family. I'm sorry to have so many allusions to my, to my children, but I've been thinking about them this week, I guess. And one of the things that we saw with our youngest, Liesl, is that after she was first born, we would put her in her crib, and we would put our hand on her, and we would begin to pray. Right? Mostly we were praying, dear God, please help her sleep. Right? I mean, that was primarily what the prayer was. It was a simple prayer, but we would do that. And then we began to notice after several months, of course, um, probably even longer than that, maybe eight or nine months, we noticed that when we said, okay, it's time to pray, she must have seen us doing this. We didn't really teach her, but that she would say, she would just, she would begin to fold her hands. And so she did that for several months. And and after a while, we noticed that, 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 that what happened is, is that after, towards the end of the prayer, we always say, in Jesus' name we pray. And that we, if we gave it some pause, that she would say, amen. And then just about two and a half weeks ago, Megan said, do you want to pray? And so she said, uh, Jesus, which we think is Jesus. We don't know for sure. And then she would say, mama, dada, nose, mouth. I don't think she completely gets it yet. But is is this great reminder to us, right, of the slow process of learning to pray. And that oftentimes you learn to pray, not just by teaching yourself, but by seeing others do it, right? By having them serve as an example. And so we pray publicly as an example, right? So that slowly we will begin to be shaped more and more into a people of prayer. And so if Sharon would come forward, we will pray together as a body. Let's go together to our Lord and Savior in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, it is a privilege indeed to sing the mighty power of God to you, Lord, just as it is a privilege to gather this morning, worshiping as your beloved children. Help us to calm our anxious hearts, to still our busy minds, and to simply savor this time to rest in your presence and hear your voice. You have fashioned us all as a special child of God with unique gifts and talents, gifts that you call us to use to honor you. Thank you, Lord, for being patient with us. For often, without even realizing it, we spend months and years of our life using our talents for our own priorities rather than for yours. And yet, as we give our hearts and our lives more fully to you, we discover and bask in the unconditional love that you alone are capable of showering us with. As we give our hearts to you, Father, you stimulate our hearts for ministry. We thank you for the strong roots you continue to provide for ZPC's Mission Commission, for the Jeremiah House, for the Zionsville Food Pantry, and for our partnerships with the Shepherd Community Center and the Interfaith Hospitality Network. Bless the work of our hands, Lord. May it glorify you and you alone. We lift up to you those whose days have been challenged beyond measure by serious illness, by unspeakable losses, by frightening acts of violence, and by unprecedented floods, tornadoes, and ice storms. May they be consoled by your comfort and peace, Father, and may we, as their brothers and sisters in Christ, be your hands and feet, serving them as you would in their time of need. 
If we become troubled by the sadness in our community, our nation, and our world, help us to remember that there has never, never been a moment, and there will never be a moment, when we are not loved by you, Father. Bless our pastors, Jerry and Scott Lord, as well as our dedicated staff and all those who invest in making our worship each and every Sunday an affirmation of our faith. We ask that your gracious web of protection surround our missionaries, Josh and Kelsey Mygott, as they begin their selfless ministry this week in the Middle East. Bless them in their transition to this new and bold life in honor of you. We pray, too, for healing for Pam Beerwagon, for Steve Gates, for Horst Pimler, and for Lois Saint. May they feel your comfort and your hope. And please comfort those who are mourning the loss of a loved one, especially Tom and Julie Mall in the death of Julie's mother, and Steve and Pat Mundy in the loss of Steve's father. We know, Lord, that you love to hear our voices lifted in prayer. So lovingly, we now share together the words you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the One of the more interesting parts of that Acts 16 passage is what happens with the slave girl who keeps following Paul and Silas around. And one of the things that uh, she keeps saying, she clearly understands, or if she doesn't, she is at least speaking the words that perhaps reveal that, that she understands more than others um, uh, who Paul and Silas were and, and what it is that they were talking about. She keeps talking about how, how they're looking or serving the mighty God, about how they are talking about and bringing salvation. And, and we're told that finally uh, uh, Paul got a little bit tired of it and so he got annoyed. Now, we don't have time because I had thought about taking a little bit of time here just to quickly say how important being annoyed is when it comes to worship. Let me just say this. If you come here for eight or ten Sundays in a row and nothing annoys you, then we might be in trouble. Because it may mean that we are giving you everything that you want and you are here just for your comfort. When really we should be annoying you in some form or fashion. Maybe that's just because I'm a little brother, but I believe that we are called to do that in some way. That's another story. Now, what happens, of course, is that finally Paul gets so annoyed that he then casts the spirit out. But this does not make the owners very happy because they have been reaping financial rewards from this slave girl. Now, I don't want to push this passage too much beyond what it means, and I, and I might be in danger of doing that. But let me simply say this, that when we reorient our lives around God, that it has implications on all parts of our life. And that there is a good chance that that includes our finances. 
And in fact, the way that we spend our money, I would suggest, may even challenge not just ourselves, but others as well. Just like these slave owners were challenged financially because of what Paul and Silas had done. One of the things that I talk about with some regularity is the fact that our finances and how we give should shape not just us, but it really should shape others. That others should be able to see that we are followers of God by the ways in which we spend our money. One of the, the examples that I have probably given at least a half a dozen times is when we go out to eat, right, and the servers. And here I got good news for you. You all are hearing this. Because twice in the last month, I've been with a group of guys from ZPC, and, and, and when the checks came around, you, a couple of them, one even said, I feel like I need to hide from you how much I'm tipping unless you say something to me badly, right? Why? Because I would suggest that if we are a generous, if we are a people who have been given to generously, that it means that we should give to others generously, and a part of the reason why we take time in every worship service in order to give is as a sign of the fact that if our lives are reoriented around God, that it shapes every part of our lives, and that includes our wallets. And so in our worship service, unashamedly, we ask for you to give, to give generously just as God has given to you. And so with that, if our ushers would come forward, we will take up our tithes and our offerings.
known world. As they went around from place to place, they went everywhere. They went into synagogues. They went down to the river at the prayer gathering. They went to prison. They went to prisoners, uh, prison, or to jailers' houses. They went everywhere. And one of the things that we believe very strongly about worship is the fact that we worship as a reminder to the fact that God is everywhere. That there is not one part of this world that God is not alive and reigning. And so every Sunday, not every Sunday, but most Sundays or many Sundays, we gather together in order to remember that. In order to remember how God is over all of this world. And so one of the other things, of course, that we see in this passage is the reality that the, that the slave girl was freed. That the prisoners, that their chains were broken. We are reminded as well in this passage of the fact that we are called not just to worry about ourselves, but we are called to help to set the prisoner free. To those who may be battling spirits or whatever they may be, that we are called to help to set them free all across the globe. And so we frequently, we gather together during our worship services and we talk about what God is doing beyond our walls. Last week we talked about Romania. This week we get to talk a little bit about uh, what the Lord is doing in Brazil through some of the folks who came. And so if the Ellets would come forward, where are the Ellets? Are they here? If they would come forward, and um, I just have a couple of quick questions for you guys. Now I forget what the questions were that I told you I would ask, but I think there was something like this. The first one I think is why did you go? went because part of the mission of our uh, visit was to plan and kind of um, help them prepare for their first great banquet. And um, we called because in our lives the great banquet made a huge difference in how we lived our life. And we just wanted to share that with with people that we already knew and loved because we used to live in Brazil. So it was a little bit like going home after 40 years and uh, being able to share something wonderful with people. Uh, for me, it's very much the same. Uh, I went through the Great Banquet in 1999, and it was, for me, a life-changing event. And I, because of that, I started doing mission work, and I wanted to share that with the people in Brazil, and I really felt that starting a great banquet there could be a life-changing event for some of them, too. As we just talked about, we believe that Paul and Silas, they went out and they, they believed clearly that God was at work everywhere. And so my question is, in what ways did you see God at work in Brazil? Well, Jack and I talked a little bit about this before we came this morning, and we saw him everywhere. We saw him uh, in every group we, we met with. Oh, we saw him when we met with the people who uh, are planning a new church to reach out to young people in Brazil. They have millennials too, you know. So <laughs> they, they, they are trying hard to reach out to them. And we just went and listened and encouraged. And, of course, we saw it in the people that were preparing for the great banquet. They are so excited. And everywhere we went, we talked about it, and more people are getting excited. We may have gotten people so excited that we can't keep up with the demand. So we'll have to try hard to, to work with that. And I think one of the things that was most impressive to me was the young people. Because, as, as Karen was saying, there is really a lot of excitement there. And we saw it when we went to visit uh, one of the churches that uh, we sponsor. And the young people were just incredibly uh, alive and, and really um, 
they just had a great excitement about spreading that church and and uh, and their uh, services and just getting together with them was just a real uh, great experience. So. Well, thank you, Jack and Karen, for sharing this. Can we give a round of applause? Thanking them for. So we believe strongly that we are here in order to worship as a reminder of the fact that we are not alone. Now, one of the last things that I want to point out to you, there's two things. One is that they started at midnight. And one of the things I kept asking myself is, does this passage have anything to say about the length of a worship service? And sure enough, if you look at the Greek, it says they started at midnight and that the earthquake occurred at 1.10 a.m., 70 minutes later. That's not really there, but it is how long today's worship service is going. The last thing I want to point out to you is probably to me at least, especially when I was growing up, the most exciting part of the passage, which is, of course, if you're a little boy, the earthquake, right? The earthquake is amazing, right? If you're a kid, you love hearing about earthquakes. They're very exciting. And one of the great things about the earthquake, it is this beautiful picture, this beautiful description of what worship should be. That worship should shake us up. That worship should, as we keep saying, reorient us. And oftentimes, in order to reorient us, something within us needs to quake. Something within us needs to shake. Something within us needs to change. But what is also interesting about this image is that it's not just Paul and Silas's chains that are broken. It's not like it was a mini earthquake that just happened right within three feet circumference of them. No, all of the prisoners, including the jailer who came in, were changed because of the way that they were worshiping. One of the struggles that we have oftentimes is that we begin to restrict our worship to what happens in here and we forget that worship should change as a good friend of mine says not just us but the community that is around us and so we come together every Sunday and we hear from scripture and we hear a sermon preached on scripture and a part of the reason why we do that is because we know how easily deceived we can be and we need to be a people who gather together and have the light of the scripture and the light of Christ speak into our lives into the ways that we easily deceive ourselves and there is probably no greater example of that than in the way that we look at worship. I hope we get the irony of this, which is that worship, which by its very definition is centered on God, how easily we end up making worship a question about, did I like it? How was it for me? Do you get that? That worship that is here in order to reorient ourselves around God and to say things about God and to reflect on God, how quickly it ends up becoming more about me, and whether I was moved one way or the other. Now, surely that's an important component, but it must always be attached to the question of, was this giving God praise? And one of the challenges that we have in the church in America today is that we oftentimes end up measuring worship by how it felt to me, and we restrict it to this particular hour. And we forget that all of the earth 
quaked, that there was an earthquake, and that the worship of Paul and Silas was a witness to the prisoners and to the jailers. In other words, everything that we are doing in here, if it is worship that is glorifying to God, should be shaping the communities in which we live. So that when we come together today and we gather together, When you go home, you should be reminded of our call to gather people together. Did you notice that both times that Lydia was converted, when she was converted, and when the jailer was converted, what did did both of them do? I know, we're one minute over. You guys are out. Your mind is gone. What happened? The donuts will still be there. They shared, and they were hospitable. They invited them into their homes, right? Whenever we sing, we sing songs, right? As we've already said, the hope is that when you go out from this place, when we sing a song like, Your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praise will. That when you go out from this place, that no matter where you are, if you are in a good place or if you are in a prison-like place, that you will have that song on your lips. We pray, not just so that we can do it right here, but as an example so that we remember to pray in whatever situation we get into. We give of our gifts here in order to be a reminder to us so that when we go out into the world, we are generous, which can be a witness to the world around us. We hear about what God is doing in places like Romania or Brazil or at the Jeremiah House or at the Shepherd Community as a reminder of the fact that when we go out from this place, we are called to be looking for people with whom we can share the good news that we have just been celebrating in worship. We pray, we worship in here in order to make a difference, not just in our lives, but in the community and in the world. What we as a worship team want you to know is that we do not want this time to be markedly different than the rest of your week. We want this time to be a microcosm of the rest of your week so that you will go out and be hospitable and be generous and pray and sing and pay attention to the world that is around you. The earth shook and our earth and our communities need to shake because of what we are doing within these four walls. We gather sisters and brothers in order to celebrate the love of God and as a witness to what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will continue to do in the days ahead. My hope and my prayer is that we will be a people who come in here every Sunday and proclaim the grace and love of Jesus Christ and that that worship will spill into every crack and crevice of our lives, of our church, of our homes, of our communities, and of our world. We come together in order to sing of God's praise. May no place on this earth be without the praise of God's people. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Stand up. We are going to sing this last song. I don't care how late it is. Let's sing Great is the Lord. You give life. You are love. You bright light. You 
in Christ. Remember, we are trying to narrow the gap between the distinction between what we do right here and the rest of our lives. May we continue to worship. May we continue to gather and to sing and to proclaim and to go out into the ends of the earth and to give generously that not just our lives might be changed, but that this world might be changed for the glory of God. Amen? Sisters and brothers in Christ, may the grace of our Lord and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with each and every one of you this day and until he returns. Hallelujah. Amen.